Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Andy J Podcast. Hey, welcome to the latest Andy J podcast. I hope you're having a very special week. Now, speaking of special, this is one really cool conversation for you to enjoy, and I really hope you will enjoy it because, well, I think it's as in-depth as I've heard him speak. It is a conversation with the brilliant Joe Wicks. I'd sort of call him the nation's favourite fitness guru, come health legend, come lovely, lovely man. He's a role model. He's a guy that got us all moving during the pandemic and helped thousands of kids in the process. He's a guy that's raised huge amounts of money for charity. And of course, he's a guy who's done it all through this philosophy of just giving back, being good, being the best version of yourself you can. I really, really respect Joe. I'd never met him before. I'd never been in the same space as him or anything. I know a couple of people that had sort of spoken very highly of him. And I've always kind of watched him on telly and on his YouTube stuff and all the rest of it and just kind of thought, what a, what a great guy. So I was really fascinated to see what he was going to be like, because actually sometimes people people step up and they, they do kind of, they are the person you always want. And other times, you know, you feel a little bit like, oh, they're not quite as great as they were expecting. I have to say, I thought Joe was fantastic company. I really, really liked him. He's been lovely uh, after the interview as well, sending nice messages and so on. He's a really good guy. He's the real deal. And this is a very far-reaching conversation. It's entertaining, it's engaging, but there's some... Well, there's a side to Joe that I wasn't fully aware of. Obviously, you know, there's only so many celebrities' lives that you can kind of be aware of until you start researching them. And of course, ahead of this conversation with Joe, I didn't just read his book, I, I got to know the guy. And so it was a very interesting kind of revelation when I discovered that his parents... Uh, his dad, a heroin addict, his mother, has had all sorts of mental health challenges throughout her life and they had him when they were both very, very young. So he had a very challenging childhood and family dynamic to deal with and he addresses this directly in our conversation. It's a really interesting chat. So look, I'm not going to continue to talk for Joe. I'll let Joe talk for Joe. Thank you for choosing the Andy J Podcast. Here is Joe Wicks. The Andy J Podcast. I am delighted to say... For the whole hour today, we are joined by the nation's favourite fitness hero. He inspired scores of youngsters during lockdown. And I'll tell you what, he kept us parents busy and distracted too. He is the brilliant Mr. Joe Wicks. How are you doing, Joe? I'm good, Andy. Thanks for having me on, mate. Absolutely thrilled to be chatting to you, Joe. We've got so much to dig into. And of course, the reason we're able to chat, because sometimes there's always a reason why someone comes on, is that you have a new book out, which is brilliant. It's a new kid's book called The Burpee Bears. Yeah, it's usually cookbooks, obviously, that I'm doing, but I'm doing something completely different this time. It's a children's picture book um, called The Burpee Bears, about a family that, you know, go on an adventure. It's all about health and activity and movement and energy, and it's just, I'm really proud of the story, and I think it's just going to be one of many to come. 
That's great news. I'll tell you what, Joe, we're going to talk about it properly later on, but I just wanted to share this with you. I have three sons and prior to lockdown, if I told them, right, I'm going to read you a story called The Burpy Bears, they would have thought that they were bears that burped. However, <laughs> thanks to your workouts, they all knew it was going to have a load of fitness in it. And I read it to the three of them. They were captivated. Oh, that's amazing. How are your kids then? Well, the two that paid the most attention were eight and four. And then the six month old, well, he just liked the pictures. Oh, that's amazing. So they were doing pee with Joe um, during lockdown last year with me then? We all did it, Joe. It wasn't just them. I was there as well, day in, day oh, that's out. that's awesome. I love that. Yeah, well, I'm really glad that you, um, you enjoyed the workouts and, the, and you found the book as well. It's a, it's a nice little kind of, it's basically a way of um, me engaging young people in fitness. So I really want to continue that legacy of pee with Joe where children see the fun in exercise and movement and they see the benefits it has on their mental health. So that's really what the book's about. Yes. Yeah. Well, actually, I've, I've noticed this, Joe, if you don't mind me saying, obviously, knowing that we were going to chat, I've done a, done a bit of a look into you other than what kind of is generally out there. And it sort of strikes me that the last, I don't know, maybe three, four years, you've really focused, and I'm assuming this is connected with you being a dad, you've really focused on what you can do for youngsters as well. You know, I've seen the YouTube series with Hey Dougie, which is great fun. And I just feel like you're really spreading that message to kids now as well as adults. Yeah, I think it's, um, it looked like I had this overnight success of P with Joe and I just had this idea, but it was really a five-year journey. I was visiting schools. I, I went all over the UK and to Ireland and Northern Ireland. And I visited schools and did workouts. So I already tested the concept of these short kind of, you know, 15, 20-minute workouts and I knew it was working. So I really just wanted to build on that. And when I obviously went into lockdown, I'd done the live stuff and I really came, in, in that moment, I really felt like I was doing exactly what I wanted to do. Like I really want, want to inspire young people. I really want to be there as someone that is a positive role model in exercise and movement and get them feeling good. So yeah, this is just another way of continuing that mission with a book now. Do you know what I was thinking, Joe, is this reminds me, and you, you and I are similar in age, so you, you'll probably get this reference. The way that you're sort of inspiring youngsters now, it feels to me like you're sort of the fitness version of, of what Jamie Oliver was doing for a while. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, but I've had, I'm a good friend of Jamie and I've had that comparison in the past around my, you know, my mission, and I'm not, I'm not really a campaigner as such in terms of, um, you know, doing like, doc, well, I, I did film a documentary in terms of doing like TV shows and, and campaigning with the government, but I really would love to, you know, I think of Jamie, of all the things he's achieved, I always think of school dinners. And so for me, I think my, my legacy will be the work I do with children. It will be the P with Joe during lockdown. And I'm passionate because, yeah, I've got two kids now and I, I just want them to have a chance to enjoy exercise and be fit and active and enjoy cooking. And I think that the quicker and the early you can teach kids that, I really think you're setting them up for a healthy life. Yeah, but, but the, the thing is, Joe, you've shared it with everyone else's kids as well. You know, loads of people want to be the kind of, that sort of great dad that inspire. I mean, I know I do. I want to inspire my kids to kind of go on and do anything they want and, you know, think that the world is theirs and they just have to share it and, and go for it and be kind and so on. But I'm not doing that to a platform. I'm just doing that for my family in my house. You've gone out there and you've said, this isn't just for my kids. This is for everyone. I know, but I still think it's amazing. Like you just said that you look, you want to be a role model to your kids. And I think the littlest things that you do, even like cooking in front of them or letting them stir their porridge and letting them, you know, put the berries on top of their things. Like all these little moments are like them learning to engage with food. And then also, you know, seeing you exercise, seeing you have a little, maybe like you're a bit stressed. And when you do a bit of exercise, you feel happier. And they see, oh, look, dad's in a good mood. It's, they're picking up on all these little things. They're really subtle, but they really learn from that. So that's why I really promote, you know, exercising as a family, getting outside, doing these things. And the Burpee Bears really touched on that. You know, the bears want to stay indoors and like, you know, do drawing and just, you know, get their phones out and watch TV. But I say, come on, let's go outside and have an adventure. And when they do that and go outside, they really feel like 
they've elevated their mood and they're way much more energized. So it's, a, it's just a simple message that I'm promoting with it's, whether it's social media, whether it's on YouTube or even with the book. It's always the same thing. Like just get outside and do, do some movement. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I've got to say the enthusiasm of the dad bear, Joe, in the book, in the Burpee Bears, is is boundless. And he doesn't struggle to convince the kids. I mean, there's no pushback from them, is there? There's no kind of like, oh, come on, dad, I've just got to do this or I'm just playing something on the iPad. They all go for it, which is, which is helpful. It's quite funny because if you like the bears are basically loosely based on like me and Rosie and the kids and stuff. So obviously like it's times in the morning I'm up, I'm up like jumping out of bed and I'm downstairs cooking the breakfast and I say, come on kids. Like, and Rosie's still, still up in bed. She struggles to get out of bed in the morning and like, it's quite funny, but yeah, I just think I've got these characters and I just wanted to sort of show that even if you're having a day where you feel, you'll feel a bit lethargic and you're a bit tired and a bit down, if you all do some movement, whether it's going for a walk or going your scooters, you know, getting outside, it really picks up the whole energy of the household. And that's, that's what P with Joe done. It got people moving for that 30 minutes. It got everyone feeling a little bit less stressed and a little bit more optimistic. And so I believe that about, about the book. I think it's the same message. And obviously at the end of the book, it's those really cute little workouts. It's like a warm up and a kind of cool down routine to get your kids, you know, taking part physically. And then there's some recipes. I was going to say the menu. Kids. Yeah, we've been cooking. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, they're really basic. They're obviously like really simple recipes like porridge and banana pancakes and a little fruit salad. But they're little things that you can get involved with the kids. So yeah, the book kind of, it's like got practical use as well as being a really nice story. Yeah, no, I I, I loved that that ha- that was how it ended because I wasn't sure how it was going to sort of were you going to include any of that at the end. So I was really really pleased you did because it's it's something that you can just kind of the kids can keep going back to. You know, it's 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 terrific. Really really nice. Oh, thank you. I'm, I'm so I'm really glad you're enjoying it. Yeah, and then, I love the illustrations. I've got an amazing um, illustrator called Paul Howard who like made the bears come to life in such an amazing way. So like there's really great facial expressions. They're really like animated. He's done such a great job. So yeah, it's an amazing thing to have a, such a really amazing illustrator get behind my first book. Yeah, absolutely. Joe, you sort of talked about how you'd been kind of practicing this for five years. We talk about that kind of phrase overnight success. And, and obviously this is for PE with Joe. Prior to that, you had all the success with, with actually everyone just getting involved with what you were doing and bringing out the books and, and so on and so forth. But actually, I think it's important to realise kind of we, we in, in the UK, when everyone says the word Joe Wicks to anyone else, there's that kind of, the association is successful. The association is, you know, you've done really well, not just obviously fitness and as a businessman and entrepreneur and all the rest of it. But do you know what I mean? When you think of certain people, you kind of think they are a success. They're a positive force. They've got it all going on. Life is great. However, if you don't mind me saying, and this is this is kind of quite a, a key bit, really, I'm really keen to sort of talk to you about your upbringing, because I don't think little Joe could have possibly imagined that 36-year-old Joe would be where you are now. Yeah, I mean, look, thanks for that. You know, it's nice that you think that, and maybe other people think that as well. I've, I've really kind of, like, I've, liked, I've enjoyed sharing my story, because people that have seen me from the start, who have followed me from, you know, day one, the first recipe videos, and they've seen me grow, it's like they really know the journey, because it's it's like I've really worked. I've really worked so hard from the start, and obviously, some people might know that like I was a boot camp trainer. I had a, you know, as personal trainer, I struggled, and it was like that might be the first thing they know from the start of the story. But really, before that, as a kid growing up, I had quite a challenging upbringing. I had a, you know, mum and dad both had mental health issues. My mum had severe OCD and eating disorders, and my dad was a was a heroin addict from a very young age. So I had a lot of stuff going on at home, and. Yeah, I'm so proud of what I've achieved. And I was with my mum the other day, like just in London, and I've got I've got this partnership with um, Lululemon now. It's like a, a clothing brand. And I just said, look, can you believe, like, 
I was a little troublemaker at school. I was a little, you know, a bit of a nightmare and a bit of a handful. And I've come all this way and I'm here now with this like massive campaign. And yeah, we just had a really sort of pinch yourself moment where it just feels very surreal. And I honestly don't know where that energy and drive and that passion and that success came from other than just in, internally. I just, I just loved helping people from the start. Well, do you think it's, I mean, I'm going to delve a bit if you don't mind, Joe, because I find, I find the, the sort of triumph of your life because of where you've come from, utterly fascinating. And I'm hoping that our listeners, whilst they can be inspired by your messages and your energy and your cooking and so on, I think actually the most inspiring story of Joe Wicks is where you've come from and what you've had to deal with. I mean, you glossed over it there. You know, your father was a heroin addict. I mean, that, that is something that you were aware of growing up for, what, your, your entire childhood? Yeah, obviously things are sort of kept from you when you're really little, but I, I knew something wasn't right because my dad would be, you know, you know, herons are very down. It's a very sleepy kind of thing. So they always just be despondent and be down and out. And I just, you know, he wasn't really available emotionally. And then he would be off of months in rehabs. He's always trying to get clean throughout my life. He's clean today. And we have a great friendship and a relationship today. But obviously, as a teenager, there was a lot of resentment, a lot of anger. I couldn't deal with it. I couldn't understand why he couldn't just put the drugs down. But, you know, I realized now, like years on, where his childhood trauma came from, where that, how that manifested in drug addiction and how my mum's where my mum's OCD and eating disorders come from. So it's only when you're an adult that you really start to uncover um, the layers of, of, the, of these things. And then you sort of, you have much more compassion. So yeah, I've, I've, evolved, I've evolved a lot. I've learned a lot. And I've learned to love and accept my dad for the addict that he is and, you know, have a bit more compassion. And so that's been easier as an adult. But definitely from, the teen, from sort of 11 to 16, I really found it difficult to understand Yes. I mean, was, we'll come on to your mum in a moment, if that's all right, Joe. But, but you know, was, was your dad, was he present as a father? It's, I, I mean, I've, I've, I know a few addicts and it, it's, it's staggeringly difficult for them to, to function without a fix, if you know what I mean. And, and therefore being a dad can't have been prevalent in his mind at times. Yeah, of course. You know, it's really difficult when you're, you're so dependent on a drug, which is so powerful and so destructive. So I always, I always knew, you know, my dad was asleep, not like um an upper where you're running around hyperactive. It was very, it was basically sleeping. He'd be you know, really tired, really kind of spaced out. And yeah, it's difficult because you just wanted to sort of have someone that was like going to take you out on a bike ride or you go out and do stuff together. But yeah, I definitely didn't have that relationship as a kid, but my mum, my mum, you know, was there for us in that respect. And I suppose, you know, I'm products of my upbringing, but I don't, I'm not someone who has resentment and looks back in, in the past and thinks, oh, I wish it was different. I'm really, you know, because of who I am, I, I am the person because I've, gone through that I'm a good husband I'm a, I'm a good father and I'm present I'm really stable and loyal to my wife and kids so I think I just know how much it hurt me when he wasn't there when he couldn't be there for me and couldn't you know was in was in rehab and stuff but yeah it's been quite tough I've just finished filming a documentary actually with Louis Theroux about this it's, it's mental health um parental mental health my childhood and me so it's about my experience and it was really it was like it was like going into therapy having these interviews speaking to my mum and dad and realizing what I went through I actually sort of blocked a lot of it out but you know I'm strong I'm a strong character today and I think I put that down to my upbringing yes I mean it sounds to me like you were absolutely oozing resilience I think yeah I just realized you know kids are very resilient when I think about you know my mum and mum shouting at me and my mum and dad arguing and you know my dad not being then my mum went into um kind of you know rehab for her, for her addictions her food it wasn't a drug and alcohol it's more um you know food control and OCD and eating disorder. So yeah, she was away. And I just, I, I didn't, my mum was like, I went away for five months and I, I don't even remember that time. Like I was only probably about 11 or 12 at the time. So there's a lot of things happen. I think when you're kids, you, you are resilient and it's just all you know at the time. So for all the chaos I was going through, 
I just thought that this is just what it's like. This is what mums and dads are like. But obviously that's all I knew. And I had to kind of stay positive and focus and try and block it out in a way. Because if you do take all that trauma on, it can really affect you. And I could have gone down the same path of, you know, self-medicating with drugs. But I actually think sport and fitness and exercise was a massive saviour and a turning point for me because I, I used it as a coping mechanism. I used it as a tool to like, change how I felt and really pick up, pick up myself when I was feeling down. Yes, yes, no, that sounds like it was it was a great solace for you. I mean, the thing is, Joe, when you when you sort of look back on it, you sort of think to yourself, well, how on earth did social services not get involved? You know, you, there were three of you, right? You, you two brothers and obviously both parents yeah. having having their own significant challenges. You sort of wonder how how did that slip through the net? Well, I think one of the things I was always you know, although it's chaotic, you know, it was chaos. I was always loved. I always had, I was always kept safe and loved, and I wasn't like, around the kind of drug use itself. But that's what I've learned about this whole documentary, this case, what I've been going into. It's about parents are scared because there's stigma with mental health issues. You don't want to put your hand up and say, "I've got depression," or you know, "I'm I'm really struggling," because you think you're going to have, you think you're going to lose your kids. So parents don't talk about it to their kids. Don't talk about it to their friends at school. And it's like the thing is just kept on swept under the rug and. That's what I've gone into. Like, when can we start having these conversations? When can we start letting the children know that, you know, mum's got a bit of a cloud over her head. She's struggling and bringing them into the conversation, communicate. And there are charities now that focus on that. I visit an amazing charity that focuses on bringing the children into kind of a talking therapy session where parents come in with them. They learn about their parents' mental health. And then that can really, really transform their lives. And obviously, yeah, there's a massive fear that if parents, you know, are vulnerable and show that they're weak mentally, that are struggling, then social stuff's going to take kids off them and that is something that's really frightening for parents but what I've realised is there are there is support and there is services out there but I definitely was never never near that you know my mum was always well, they always took care of us it's just in their own way you know yes yes do you think do you think because it feels it feels like the new wave the new generation Joe is is much more sort of open-minded with with what it's like to be a human, actually. You know, mental health is now leading the agenda. You know, we are now seeing schools recognising transgender, non-binary, and so on and so forth. And and kids are seeing this as normal and fine. You know, when you and I were growing up, you wouldn't even... You wouldn't even recognise somebody who was gay. You know, it would it would be kind of swept under the carpet. It was a secret. It was you know, it was a taboo thing. Thankfully, that's changed and has changed for a long time now. But... What I'm talking about is this new wave. You know, the, I feel like you just said the ability to say to your kids, look, I'm having a dark day. It's probably going to happen now, isn't it? Yeah, I think I think there's more effort and more kind of consciousness around um, that, you know, we're so delicate and vulnerable as humans. We can be so happy one minute and the next minute we're, we're down and we're lost and we're confused and things can really knock you off course. And I think, you know, there's a great documentary. Like, um, David Hare had done a great one on psychosis and me. Like that was a documentary that he'd done retrospectively from, from, from his teenage days. And that wouldn't have been on TV 30 years ago. Like the fact that BBC done that and they've also commissioned my documentary around mental health. You know, it's a tough subject to talk about, but they know I'm passionate about it and they know it's important. So the conversation's getting louder. People are sharing about it. You know, Tyson Fury coming back from severe mental health issues to like, become, you know, the world champion boxer and St. Mark Cavendish. I'm a good friend of Mark and he struggled. He had a really bad period of depression after, um, you know, he, after the Tour de France and whatnot. Yeah. And he, he came back this year and had the most amazing year. So I think all these athletes, all these people that come out and all these people that talk and show vulnerability, like it really helps people. It really helps teenagers and young people or adults that are feeling it. So I hope my, doc, although my documentary is very intense for me personally, I was really emotional in every, every scene. 
it's going to be a powerful bit of content that can definitely help other children who might be in that situation or parents to know that, you know, you're doing a good job and your kids can go on to do amazing things and you don't have to repeat that, um, you know, that those footsteps of your parents. You still have a really happy, healthy life and have a strong relationship with people, even if your parents have mental health issues. And so I'm, I'm really looking forward to sharing that next month. I think it's coming out. Wow. I mean, you sort of said it was, it was quite difficult to make. What, what, was, what was the standout for you? I mean, having to sort of drag up all of that stuff again it must have been really, really challenging. Well, when I went into it, I thought, you know, this is like easy. I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm a happy guy. I don't think about my childhood. I just back on, like, let's move forward. But it was really, into, yeah, it was like therapy. Like, I was, I was interviewing my mum and she was telling me things. Like, she said, like, when, my, when your little brother George was two, I went into, like, I went into you know, rehab to, to deal with things. And I was like, five months? Like, I can't believe that. And my dad was probably still using it at the time. So it was like, it must have been so hard for her to leave us with my dad, but she, her mental health was a bad way that she had to, you know, so that, that buckled me and then chatting to my dad and he got emotional and, you know, even a friend of mine I went to school with, I, I and him and he told me how his dad had psychosis and he was a paranoid schizophrenic and I love my friend and we were, we were good friends at school and he was just this happy little boy and when he's telling me on the, on the, you know, on camera, he's like, my dad used to really be really violent and beat me up and stuff. I was just like burst into tears. I couldn't, I wasn't ready for that. Like, and it made me realize that we are so, you know, we, we cover and we hide and we protect so, we, we keep in secret as children. You've just got to go to school and be normal and stuff. And I think this is why I like it, like to know that schools are talking about mental health. Now they're talking, in some subjects, they're talking about, you know, how to overcome things, how to, you know, spot these signs in your family members and things so you can really avoid, you know, bad things happening or any kind of trauma from, from, from happening. So I think, it was just overall, like, I was ex- I was emotionally exhausted when it was done. I was like, I, just, I need to stop this for a while, but yeah. I'm okay now. But during the during the filming, it's 15 days. I was like, this is like so intense. I was just so tired. Yes, that must have been brutal, Joe. I mean, I, I've certainly found, you know, I've been fortunate enough to have these conversations with with lots of fascinating people, and and the number of people that have stories from their childhood about abuse or challenges or issues or, or things that they've dragged up now that they kept hidden as a child. It's, I mean, it, it, it's terrifying how frequent it comes up actually. Yeah. I think it's just so much more common than like, you know, you, we know, and I just think we're, when things happen that are traumatic, you know, we, we either like tackle it head on and you really like let it strengthen you or you can really let it destroy you and kind of damage your life. And if I look at my mum and dad, you know, childhood trauma affected them in the level that it manifests in something that's never gone away it's still there you know the, the addiction's still there and the mental health and the you know hypnotherapy and constant you know trauma therapy and constant counseling all their life like all their life and so I could have been that person I could have gone down the park and smoked weed and got drunk and gone down that route and been you know dependent on drugs but I just for some reason I was so drawn to the opposite thing I just I was so frightened of um of drinking or smoking, I thought I'm going to be addicted. You know, my granddad was an alcoholic. My dad's a drug addict. Like, I just genuinely thought that it was going to be in my mind if I was I was going to be an addict. So I joined the gym. Like, I went to the homes place in Epsom. I used to go to the gym every day and you know keep fit and just down top of my fitness and health. And that that was my drug. That was probably what I got addicted to. And, and, and you know, it's just suddenly I loved it. And here I am after all these years. But for me, I just saw the damage that drugs could do, and it was just too scary for me. Did you find yourself looking for the sort of behaviours that your parents were were sort of ex- experiencing in yourself? Did you find yourself sort of analysing your own thought processes 
No, I mean, my mum had really bad, you know, bulimia and anorexia and she, she struggled to eat. But I, I, just, I always loved food. I never had an issue. I was always a skinny kid. And, you know, same with drugs and alcohol. I didn't drink till I was like, you know, 17, 18. I wasn't one of these in booze down the, the park. Like all my other mates were. Like they were drinking 14, 15, you know, smoking, experimenting with weed and stuff. And I just never, I never had that desire. So I think I was just quite a strong, resilient person. I think I just, I was quite vocal as well. I wasn't someone who would just sit there like wallowing in things. I would be like, look, this ain't, this ain't enough. I'm not happy. Why are you doing this? I'd, I'd be, I was always quite vocal from the start. And maybe that helped me because I wasn't such a introvert. I wasn't internalized now. I think I would just, I would say what I thought and I was just good or bad. I would, it would come out of me. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so who did you look up to growing up then, Joe? Who were your role models? Who were you sort of thinking there, that, that person is what I'd like to be like? The irony is the only real strong male role model I had in my life was probably like my school teacher, specifically my PE teacher, because they were always like young, they were male, they were fun, they were they could deal with me, like me out of class, because I just I was a clown. I wasn't like a really naughty kid, but I was a I was I was, I was an attention seeker, like I was playing up, you know, always trying to crack jokes and probably people and stuff, and they just really dealt with me. They loved me. Like I was always the first one out there. I was rounding everybody up and you know getting them on the pitch and so. I think that was my ambition. I wanted to be a PE teacher. Like I really wanted to work with kids, you know, be that kind of positive role model. And it's, it's so ironic because I did work as a teaching assistant and I, I just wasn't cut out for it. And then I was like, right, I'm going to become, you know, a personal trainer. And 10 years later, I'd done PE with Joe and essentially, you know, was working and training with me, the kind of teacher. And so it was, it was amazing to do that. And it's, it's just weird that that was, my, that was my dream. And I've come completely full circle to that right in this moment now. Yeah, it's it's brilliant. Do you feel a sort of, do you feel a sense of responsibility? Do you feel, because you are a role model, Joe. I mean, it's not many people really are. You know, let, let's be fair. There are plenty of celebrities out there, but not many are, are kind of setting the shining light, are leading the way. They're just living their life and success comes and goes and whatever else. Whereas you genuinely fall into the role model category. Do you feel that? And, and does it come with pressure? I mean, it's, look, it's lovely that people think that. I don't, I don't overthink it. I don't think, oh, I've got all this pressure on me and I can't handle it. It's too much. But I feel like I'm growing and learning as a human being and I'm sharing it. I'm just sort of documenting it on Instagram and with YouTube and, you know, littlest things. That if, if I read a book about parenting that really moves me or really helps become a better parent, I share it. So I, I just want people to, you know, learn what I'm learning because I, I do find it hard. I do, find, I do feel like I can be impatient sometimes. So it's little things like that. And when it comes to exercise and my philosophy around fitness is genuinely want people to see how much um how much better life can be when you exercise so it's not a pressure it's more like a responsibility positive thing because it's so much purpose like when i was doing mp with joe workouts you know i'm in front of the camera i'm on my own i just felt so alive i, was so, I felt i had so much drive and purpose and so much um energy for it that i was just doing what i love it's just i'm just lucky that i get to do it for millions of people that's just kind of how it's turned out but really in the early days it was me in a park, five, 10, 15 people at most. And I was doing exactly the same, just trying to get people like enjoying themselves, having fun and, and getting fit. So I've, I've really just on that path. It's just grown over the years, but nothing's changed from the, from the day I started as a personal trainer, really. Yeah, that's really interesting. Well, I mean, a, a couple of things have changed, actually, Joe. The size of the audience, and I'll, I'll put this delicately, the, you know, the reward, the pay packet, you know, it's, it's I imagine it's, it's, a fair bit better now than it was when you were just training five people. Yeah, of course. Look, with success, I would, I always, I've always believed in like being being purpose driven over profit driven. So that when someone looks at me, I hope they don't think, 
I started out in all of this to make money from it because you know I, I obviously I just think when when you when you're passionate and you're really doing what you love and you're waking up every day just with focus to like just keep doing what you're doing when no one's watching no one's listening no one's turning up I, I believe the money you know the money will kind of find you in a way sort of opportunities come like you know with a book deal like you know I didn't plan on getting a book deal when I started the Lean 15 recipes I was just starting out on Instagram I thought it'd be fun to share recipes I think when you're doing good stuff and you're really positive and you're um you're connecting with adding value to someone's life good things will happen whether it's commercial whether it's with you know YouTube or Instagram whatever it may be but I just think you've got to have a true like purpose you've got that true passion and that's why people I think continue to respond to my content because yeah, I sell the odd book on that, but really everything's about free content. It's about my YouTube channel. It's about my Instagram. It's free recipes. And obviously every now and again, there's a book. But yeah, that's that's kind of it's changed my life. Like, I'll be honest with you, the Lean in 15 book changed my life because that went from Instagram to like 1.5 million copies in the space of like a year. That that was the first time I was like, this has completely transformed my life, like my mum's life. And, you know, ever since then, I've just stayed on that mission, which is like, can I get people enjoying food, exercising, and as long as I'm that focused, I think I'll have a long career. Yeah. If I start thinking about the money and grabbing everything and doing this deal, promoting that energy drink, doing this fast food thing, like that's when you that's when you lose it because people lose trust in you and they can see you're really passionate on the commercial stuff and you're not truly like in line with what you really are about. And I've, I've turned so many things down. People would never know, but you know I don't do many brand deals. It's, it's very rare. So you know I've had an amazing career so far, but. I'm doing, I think I'm making the right decision that I'm going to be around in 20 years time. Do you know, that's so interesting that you say that, Joe, because actually outside of the media landscape, I don't think most people realise they don't really know what a brand deal is. And, and of course, this, this is effectively associating yourself with a product or a brand that will pay you crazy amounts of money to be connected to them. And, and that could be something like uh, Kerry Katona did those adverts, didn't she, for Asda or something, something like that. Yeah. And yeah. I, I'm ju- just trying to use a sort of example that people will know. And then there was... And yeah, the Jamie, the Jamie, the Jamie Oliver partnership was saying, you know, when Jamie was in it's saying that's like a brand partnership where you're helping promote them and they're sort of helping you. So yeah, it's a two-way thing. Yeah, and, it, and of course, it, it raises your profile and so on, but it connects you to a brand and it, and it pays you an awful lot of money. Then there are smaller deals that, that people might not realise, which can involve what you're wearing, the sort of things you could post on social media, or even what you're driving. You know, there are car deals out there and so on and so forth. Yeah, correct. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and so, so I was just kind of summarising that so that people understood what you meant when you said brand deals. And, and actually to hear you say, no one will realise how many brand deals you turn away is, is a really important point because you're exactly the kind of guy that actually has that mass appeal where almost every brand out there could have a piece of Joe. Do you know what I mean? Because of your goodwill, because of the things you do, because of the, the, the associations and so on. So it's great to hear that you've actually... Yeah, you could you could have cleaned up, Joe. You could have taken a handful of deals, made an absolute packet and gone, well, I can retire now because I've done everything I need to do financially. But the fact that you haven't and you're more interested in having a long career speaks very well of you. You're listening to the Andy J podcast and we really appreciate having you here with us. If you're enjoying the show, why not leave us a lovely review and perhaps five stars and subscribe wherever you're listening as it really does help. The Andy J podcast. Yeah, and it hasn't ever been forced. It's never been like, I've not looked at a piece of paper and gone, oh, I should sign that, shouldn't I? Or thought, oh, I don't think that, I don't know. Like, Because I just never look at like lost income. I always say, it's not for me. I'm thanks for the offer. I appreciate you reaching out. But, you know, my, my thing is fitness and food, and I'm really good at that. And I don't I don't need to be just promoting everything for the sake of it or putting my name on like 
a lot of companies want to do something what they call licensed products where you might say, right, I'm going to do, um, I'm going to make some fitness equipment and call it the body coach and brand it. And, you know, you get like a cut on the sales, but I don't, um, I don't just want to do things because I can. I don't just want to put my name on everything because I can. So now an example, this is the most public thing I've talked about, but a supermarket in the UK wanted to pay me like quite a lot of money for a two year deal. And I was really excited. About it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Like I, I do food. I've got cookbooks, you know, it's really exciting. Millions of customers every week. This is amazing. Uh, but when it came to the products, it was um, it was ready meals. It was like you know microwave dinners and mm. boiling the bag things and like fast food sort of sandwiches and things. And I, and I just looked and thought, you know what, that is not the right thing for me. I spent seven years promoting and encouraging people to find fifteen minutes a day to cook a meal, you know. And and I've sold millions of books and I've got millions of families cooking from that. So it wasn't even like I should do it or shouldn't I? I just it was like it's not for me. It's against what I believe in and that was an amazing choice because I, I knew that once I'd done that, I was going to stay focused, stay hyper-focused on what I'm good at. And yeah, I'm really proud of that because it was, it was well easy to take the money and it was a lot of money. And yeah, I don't ever think, oh, why didn't you do that? Because I feel, I honestly think I will be around in 10, 15, 20 years still doing what I love because of, because of these decisions I make now in the short term. Yes. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I'm aware of the deal that you're talking about, Joe. It was a very famous supermarket chain and it was a colossal amount of money. So the fact that you, you said no to it was, was really powerful. And actually, Joe, that, that sort of speaks to the public fascination, doesn't it? Do you remember very recently the wonderful tennis with Emma Raducanu, you know, who, who just, she blew us all up with her brilliance and her joy and her passion and, and her, her story of success and triumph was amazing. And what I found remarkable was the day after she'd won the final against all the odds, the day after... There were so many headlines saying, oh, now she's going to make a hundred million pounds. Well, so what? Can't we just talk about her success and how amazing she's been and what she could go on to achieve in her career rather than the fact that brands are going to throw cash at her? Yeah, I mean, she's amazing. And what an amazing, I love a success story. I, tr- I just truly love seeing people succeed. Like, I think you either do or you don't. And I, when I see someone, if it's in business or in sport or whatever, on a, on a personal level, I just love, I love seeing someone win at life, you know? So when I saw that, yeah, it's amazing. And like anything, and I think the media in the UK always becomes about the money, and it's. Just, I think people are just fixated on that, right? I mean, look at Marcus Rashford, like all that good he's done. I mean, he changed lives with the the schools campaign, and then they're digging him out for buying a house for his mum or whatever, yeah. or buying himself a bigger house. And it's like you should be able to just say, "Look, I'm moving up a little bit. You know, I'm getting a bigger house or a bigger garden." Like it's not. A, it's not. Doesn't make someone bad or like not generous or kind. I mean, I think in America there's much more. They celebrate. It. Don't they? It's a bit flaunty in that, and they obviously they like the kind of American success. So I think in the UK it's more like you can be good and be successful. Don't be too big. Don't be too successful, and don't shut too much of it because we can't handle it. And yes. I, I'm always I'm always cautious of that, but I also think you know sometimes it's okay just to like move up a little bit in life and get a bigger garden for your kids without feeling bad. You don't have to think, am I doing the right thing? Should I just stay around? Because I think people, you know, people that work hard should be able to enjoy that a little bit and and, and have a nice life for their family. Yes, exactly. I, I don't think, I don't think anyone would begrudge you your success, Joe. I think, I think obviously there are always going to be stories where people will be fascinated. I saw one recently about your app making a load, something like nine million quid in a week or whatever, and that you know the tabloids were like, "Oh, whoa, Joe!" But actually, what what you realise when you read that detail further is that's because you had offered the app at a discount so that people could exercise and get in shape during lockdown. You know, and that's actually the bigger picture. It's not. It's not how you feathered your nest, it's how you've helped other of people. Of course, yeah. And Just also, you know. look, you, you, need, you know about the media. You don't believe everything you read in the tablets because they, yes. always, 
they always really exaggerate or they really underplay it. But yeah, it was definitely not nine million pounds in a week. God, if it was, I'd be celebrating. It wasn't like that at all. But <laughs> they spin everything, don't they? You know, they. I mean, I went to the Wimbledon to see. I went to Wimbledon to see um, the tennis, and I yawned for like ten seconds. And the Daily Mail were like, "Oh, body coach falls asleep at tennis," and it's like, "No, I had a really good day. You just caught me yawning." Like, so not everything you see is truth, you know. But um, yeah, I mean, look, congratulations, her. and I think anyone that's working hard in life deserves to, you know, to to have that growth and that, you know. Obviously, it's not always financial. I mean, people always fixate on the financial stuff. But when I think of my success and what it's truly linked to, like, it's very intrinsic. It's about how I can help people. It's how I connect and like really, truly, I changed lives. Like, I saved some people's lives during lockdown, like yes. people that were very suicidal, very depressed and very anxious. And so, you know, I don't look at my bank and go, oh, I'm well happy. I actually look at their message and go, that is what really fires me up. That's what, that's what you going and like you either believe that or you don't but that's what I spend most of my day doing is reading and replying to those messages and that's really what makes me happy yes and I think that's partly I'm sorry to come back to the upbringing again Joe but I think I think that's partly because you know that money is in no way the be all and end all you know that you don't need millions in the bank to have a good life to live happily to be a decent person you know that that's you know, anybody that's that struggled with with finances knows that actually yeah, it's something you've got to fix. It's horrible, but you yeah. deal with it. It doesn't mean you're unhappy. It just means you have to find another way to survive. And you're so right. Those messages of, you saved me, you made me feel better, you took me back from the brink, that is priceless. And that's what will be your legacy when when, when kind of all is said and done. 100%. I totally agree. And I've got a box in my um in my garage about all the letters and cards I got sent, you know, from some of the families and children like, during the lockdown. And I, I just love that. And I cherish those you know, because they are really what, what motivates me. And I think, I think it's just about internal happiness, isn't it? We, we always think we need the new iPhone and a bigger car and a bigger house. And we're constantly thinking about these external things. And it's okay to like want nice things. It's okay to want to move up a little bit and, you know, progress through life. But true, true happiness is, in, is internal. Like, I know if, if everything, if all my followers left me, if all my, if my house, if everything went to my, but I still woke up with Indy and Marley and Rosie and, and, and my wife, you know, my wife, Rosie, I'd, I'd be okay. Like I'd, I'd rebuild and I'd be okay. I think that's what, I think that's the stability in my mind. I think I don't mind that if I don't become cool and I lose all the followers and everything, if all the lights turn off and it's not on me, I've still got my wife and my kids and my family. And that's, that's kind of my stable kind of framework that keeps me level and grounded and humble because it doesn't get to my head because I don't need all that stuff. Yes, yes, no, you're so right. I mean, uh, do you know uh, Mel Gedridge from Mel and Sue? Yeah, yeah, from the Bake Off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had a Bake Off, yeah. Yeah, so I had a lovely chat with her and she, I think people have forgotten this, but she shared with me that a few years ago she actually went bankrupt and she lost everything. And I said to her, you know, what was it like? And she said, do you know, it was, it was the happiest I've ever been. Because we, it was the great reset for her, you know. Because she had her family there, and she realised that's all that mattered. I just can I just can you can we pause for a second? Yeah, Someone just turned up my door. Of course, yeah. I've got to get delivery. <laughs> no worries. Sorry, the delivery. Um, no, no. Listen, Joe, we got we got to work with that, right? You've just had a delivery. Okay, I got two questions. Number one: When people drop things off at Joe Wicks's house, is there a massive double take from the person that's dropping things off? Are they like, uh, hang on? <laughs> do they do they start doing press ups in front of you? Sometimes people go, oh, you're that guy who does the pee with Joe, thanks for getting me through and stuff. So it's always quite fun to see people. Um, no, I think she's right. You know, even if you lose everything, there's that chance to rebuild. And to be honest, some of my favorite memories are like the very early start of things when I was 
building up the boot camp. I was trying to grow my Instagram following. You know, I was, I was on the way up. I was struggling and really trying to get those, you know, those followers up and get my new, new clients. And it's, I love a challenge. I, I think sometimes we get comfortable in life, don't we? And it's almost like you kind of take things for granted. But if you've got the right mindset, no matter what happens in life, you can take a moment to reset. You can put your heart and soul back into that and you can, re, you can rebuild your life. Because we all, you know, we all started with nothing and you can, you can rebuild again. You can build something. You can have something you're really proud of. So I think I really agree with what she's saying there. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's another, another phrase that came to me, which is something someone said recently to me, which is simply pressure makes diamonds. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, you can either it can either crush you like a bit of coal, or it can actually make you turn you into a diamond. And that's I believe in that. I believe in um, you know, getting out of your comfort zone and just being resilient. I just think so much good stuff can happen when you're willing to, you know, go through a bit of the tough stuff and you know, go through some difficult time. Because when you do achieve your goals, it's like you just feel made so proud of yourself when you do. You come up against something tough and you get through it and you smash it and you you get what you wanted. You know, it's it's just a nice way to think for it, as opposed to having that like negative voice that's sort of saying, oh, you're never going to do it. You're going to fail. Give up. It's not going to work. You know, I just don't like that, that voice. So it's always trying to tap into the positive voice. Yeah, no, absolutely. Hey, listen, on a positive one, we've talked a lot about money and I don't want to kind of keep banging that drum, but this is an important one, which is that last year, 2020, you did a 24-hour workout challenge and you raised over £2 million. I mean, that's, that's amazing for charity. Just incredible, Joe. It was for children in need, wasn't it? Yeah, I'm so happy with that because I didn't, I didn't plan on being like a fundraiser. You know, when the, when the P with Joe thing kicked off, I could I could see all these YouTube numbers. I was like, this is insane. Like, there's just so much money coming, and I didn't want people for one second to think that I was motivated by that. So I said, right, the literally two days, and I said, right, I'm donating all the money to NHS. Um, it was called the NHS Charity Together Fund. And yes, yeah, so you had George, raised, George Ezra like, supported that as well, didn't he? He was like, yep, I'm yeah. in, yep. Yeah, George Ezra lent me one of his songs, so he let me he let me have the right to shotgun so I could listen to it with my, on my workouts, which I love. But yeah, you know, we raised a lot of money through that. And then the next year they said, right, who wants to do a 24-hour P with Joe Challenge for children in need? And, you know, their target was a million pounds. They were like, if we can get a million pounds, we'll be so happy, Joe, and you've done so well. And so, you know, we've done just over 2.5 million, and I'm, I'm so happy because it was a tough time you know, people digging in and they really, really donated a lot of money for that. And yeah, I, I felt good. It's like anything, you know, when you do something that actually raises money for a charity, especially around kids, you can't help but get a little buzz from it. So I definitely think I'll do more in the future. Oh, well, you should, mate. I mean, you've got the platform, you've got the ability, you've got the physical ability to do it as well. I mean, let's not take that for granted. I couldn't do 24-hour workout challenge. I could barely do 24 minutes. So that's brilliant. Oh, it was quite tough. Yeah, it was <laughs> emotionally and mentally, it was more challenging. It was it wasn't as physical because I was kind of plodding along a little bit. You know, I was doing, I was doing the kind of like treadmill, like walking on there, and then I'd be on the little cross trainer and the bike, and so I kept kept moving. But yeah, it was just tiring. I was like, oh, two a.m. came around. I said, what am I doing here? But in the morning, when everyone woke up, that's when the money rolled in. So it's like, stay awake till seven a.m., push through. That's when the real donation started flying in, and it was just like jumped to like two million. Yeah, I bet that was incredible. Actually, that's that's one of my favourite things about when I was doing PE with Joe, with you, with my kids, obviously in my home watching you, was the moments when you acknowledged that you were struggling, when you were like, oh, this was a bit tough, isn't it? And then you'd be stopping just to catch your breath. Because, of course, whilst we were having to do your workouts with you, you were getting out of breath because you were also having to do the count as well as the exercise. You were having to keep us motivated and explain it. And actually, it was nice to see that even you were getting a bit out of puff at times because that just made you human. Yeah, I think people think that I like put that on. But trust me, I mean, I'm really training. I'm I'm doing it in real time. I'm 
I'm talking, I'm trying to motivate you, I'm counting, I'm, you know, up and down. It's, it's, it's they're, you know, they're tough workouts, but yeah, I, I love them. And I'll tell you what, the hardest ones were the Fridays, the Fantastic Fridays. I was dressing up like a, <laughs> a panda or, yeah, I was a panda and a kangaroo and those little cheap little like fleece, like pajama sort, sort of costumes that just no breathability. I was just so hot and sweaty, but yeah, like they, they really made people laugh, didn't they, them ones? And obviously I had the fancy dress to, to spot the difference and yeah. I tried to do the quizzes and just make, make it really interactive. So even if kids didn't enjoy the exercise, I thought they're going to do the spot the difference in the quiz and I kept them sort of hooked with that. I totally think. did. You totally did. I did all the, the costumes as Batman, by the way, which was always the worst choice. I have one Batman costume that I did a fun run for my son's school in. And, you know, it's one of those ones where it gives you all those padded muscles. Man, yeah. they are bad. They, I mean, you, yeah, you you've swear. They stink, oh. don't they? When, when you when you do it and like they yeah, just they stink, do. so you can't what you can't really wash them. But yeah, that was a that anything like that with a thing over your face. Oh, the spot even the Spider Man one. I had a Spider Man <laughs> mask on, so you can imagine it's like breathing through one of those masks. It's horrible. <laughs> yes, it's brutal. Now look, here's here's a bit of fun for you. You've obviously received two amazing awards in the last couple of years. And I'm not taking away anything from either of them. They're massive. Joe, you've had the blue, Wait, what are they? you've had the blue oh, piece yeah. of gold badge award for the charity, you know, for the, for the children in need thing. And not many people get a gold badge from blue Peter. And of course the big one, the MBE. Yeah. I mean, look, I'll be honest with you. I couldn't believe about the MBE and I was, I was pretty chuffed and I was, I was really proud. Like, I rang my mum and she was like in tears and I was like, I can't believe it. It's amazing. But then when I got the gold badge, I went on Wikipedia and started looking at who's got a blue Peter gold badge. And it was like Paul McCartney, yeah. David Attenborough, like some serious hitters. I was like, this is amazing. That's a rare. I, I think it's probably easier to get an MBE than it is to get a blue <laughs> Peter gold badge. So, That's what I was going to yeah, say. Yes. I was very honoured. Yeah. But if you had to choose the two, the gold badge. I would. You know what? When you're, you're up there with like, you know, yeah, like your Attenboroughs and amazing rock stars and poets and musicians, I've, I've got to say, yeah, like I'm really chuffed with the... Uh, with the blue Peter gold badge. And I used to watch it as a kid as well. Like, I didn't know much about MBEs, but I obviously as a kid growing up watching blue Peter, it's just like, wow, this is awesome, man. So yeah, thanks. Thanks everyone that voted for me. It's very cool. It's very cool. Now, Joe, we've got quite a few fun subjects to talk about because we've, we've done the deep stuff and thank you for being so candid, by the way, I appreciate you, you know, going down with me and, and just kind of chatting through it properly rather than just kind no of worries, that's okay. That's really, really sound of you. Now we can have a bit of fun. We're going to start with the fart if that's all right, because that was one oh, of my fart. Fa- never, I'm never going to live this down. I always say it's the one thing that's never going to blow over. <laughs> one of my fa- one of my favourite moments. Farts are never not funny. And the fact that you shared it yourself and and, and just went, yep. Oh, I owned it. I owned it, didn't I? You must- so let me explain quickly what happened. So when you go live on YouTube, like it usually buffers for like 30 seconds. So you know it's going to go live in about 30 seconds. So Basically, I hadn't even hit the button, but I was like, I've got a really trapped wind in. I thought, if I don't do this now, I'm going to probably do it in the middle of a burpee or a squat jump or something. It's, gonna, it's not going to come out well, and it's live. So I quickly let rip, let it out, and I, and I just done the workout, didn't think anything of it. Do the workout, and I get a tweet saying, did Joe Wicks really just let an absolute <laughs> ripper off? So I was like, quickly went onto YouTube, watch the video back. And I was like, Dom, I said, my mate Dom, who uploads my video, I said, Dom, delete that video now, get it down. But by the time, by the time it had been removed, the Daily Mail had ripped it off the internet. So it was all over the internet. <laughs> it was being shared. And as you know, I said, I'm so embarrassed, but I owned it. I said, guys, something embarrassing's happened. I'm really sorry. And I, and I owned it. And it, it was the most, most engaged, like highly commented post I've ever done. People were just so happy. <laughs> and so they were, they just needed a laugh, I think. And it really helped them get through that day. 
say, I think. See, all that, all that training, all that fitness, and all you needed to do was fart. <laughs> I know. But you know what? That fart travelled to Australia. I was doing, like, breakfast TV, and they rang me up in the middle of the night, and I got up and did the interview, and it was like, they just kept playing it over and over again. And then they were laughing so hard. And I said, guys, forget the point. Like, chill out. They're like, nah, we love a fart joke down under. We've got to keep playing it. And they just kept doing it over and over again. <laughs> well, because it was pretty significant, Joe. It wasn't like a little tweeter. You know, it was a proper, you emptied it. And good for you. I panicked. Yeah, I, panicked. I was panicking. I was like, I've got to do it before I go live. And it just it just went up in speed and velocity. You could hear the, <laughs> you could hear the, the fear in it. Like, it was, it was a scary one. <laughs> well, this is the thing. I mean, I've, I've hosted lots of live telly before. And you do, you do get a little bit nerves with the sort of five second countdown. I mean, I've, I've never done what you did there, but my tummy's often threatened to do it. Was that a degree yeah. of nerves or was it just, oh, oh, I haven't let this out yet? I just, yeah, I just didn't think for one second it was going to be recorded. I mean, this is funny. I went out the other day to a fest, uh, concert and saw this girl and she's like, said, hi. She's like, I've got to ask you something. I said, yeah, go on. I said, I've got to ask you. I said, right, yeah, what are you going to ask me? She basically went, you know that really loud fart you done? She goes, was it a smelly one? I said, no, it wasn't smelly. It was just trapped wind. I said, you must have done one before yoga or something. Like she's like, oh yeah, cool stuff. But I wouldn't do it live on YouTube. But yeah, it's a funny moment. Funny moment. It really, the nation needed a laugh and that was it. That was the one. You served it up with aplomb. Yeah, beautifully done. Now the next one for you, because like I said, I've got a few fun chats. I don't know if this classifies as fun or not, because I'll need you to explain it to me. And this okay. was, this was what happened on your 36th birthday. Your, your, what I've, what I've written down here is your surfing horror because your electric surfboard gave up on you. Yeah. Well, they're actually, they're like motorized. They're like little jet skis, but basically yeah, it's like a surfboard. You stand on it. You put your feet in the little holes, like, like a windsurf kind of thing, like little foot straps. Yeah. You've got a, you've got a throttle on a, on a cable. So you, you pull the throttle and it whizzes along. So it's a two stroke engine. It's basically like petrol with a bit of two stroke oil. Super fun. I'm down in Dorset. We're flying through Durdle Door, going under the little arch. Like I'm living the dream. I'm having so much fun. The sun was shining. I'm with my wife, and like, we're both doing it. And I love that she did, does this stuff because I, I just love it. I just love being with her. I love that we're out on the sea doing this together. And so we, we're whizzing along. Anyway, I, if you get the engine wet, like if you flood it, it's really hard to restart. You got to like dry the spark plug. You got to re, you know respark it. So I'm floating in the water, but there's no beach because it's like in between the two coves. Yeah, like Lulworth Cove and Durdle Door. Okay. There's no there's no beach. It's just rocks, like really sharp rocks. And you, you can't get to sand or get it off the water. So I'm like on this, I'm on this rock. that's like pointing out of the water and like waves are crashing over it. So I'm holding it up in the air, trying to empty it out, trying to get the water out, trying to restart, like restart the engine. It's not happening. So Rose is in the water. Rose, look, you're going to have to go and whiz back around to the cove, get a little rescue boat to come and pick me up. So she whizzes off into the sunset, <laughs> into the sunset around the corner. And just as they went past, just as she went away sorry a little dinghy went past waving at me like three guys on it so I'm, in, I'm waving my arms I'm like they think I'm just waving to say hi I was like no I need your help help come over so they, they, they drove over on the boat and they're like I know you I reckon you're that you're that fitness <laughs> guy aren't you I said oh that's me I said look it's my birthday I'm, I'm, I'm struggling can you save me they're like yeah so I chucked the board on their little dinghy and they took me around to Lulworth Cove and I was like, was going, Rosie, they've saved me, I'm alive. And she was like, so embarrassed. It was really quiet and I'm just screaming on the boat. And that was it. Yeah, they saved me. But these guys, check this out. So they spend their day, they're called the Jurassic Coast Cleanup Gang. And they like clean up the coast of plastic and debris and rubbish. And I said, what are the chances that you've come past and picked me out of the sea? Oh, good lads. What decent people. Yeah, lovely guys. Proper heroes. Oh, I love it. So you were saved by proper... That's terrific. What a lovely finish to that story. I love it. Um, right, next one for you, Joe. 
ice baths. Convince me. Oh, so look, obviously you've got Wim Hof, the Iceman, you've got all these people doing athletes, you've got people on Instagram, YouTube giving it the big end. And I thought, well, I'm going to start by doing, um, you know, cold showers. So I've done that for a year, straight up. And, and what's, what's the deal with that? You just, you literally just get only the cold tap on and you get straight in the water, right? Yeah, I just run the cold. I go in on the cold and out on the cold. And I used to last about four, five seconds. And now I got up to like 30 seconds, I built up to a minute. And now I just have a much different relationship with cold. I'm not like fearing it. So I thought, right, I just, I want to go to the next level. What's the next level? So during lockdown, I invested in like an ice bath. So I've got like a, a bath outside and I've got a, just an, an external hose, like a tap. Cold water goes in and I've got this ice machine that generates about 50 kilograms of ice. So I throw the ice in, put the water in, get it to super cold, like one, two, three degrees normally. And I, I lay in the ice bath. So I'm dead still. I'm breathing. It's so painful. Like your feet, your hands, it's, it's, it's unbearable sometimes. But the mental strength and clarity you get when you step out of it, like when you sort of focus on your breathing, you meditate almost, you come out, your skin feels amazing, your energy levels, your stress. It's very, it's more mental than physical for me. It's really about like overcoming that, that stress anxiety response of wanting to get out. Okay. And like breathing and you yeah, come how, out and you just feel like amazing. How long are I you staying it. in the ice for? How long are you in there? So PB is 10 minutes and that's, that's danger zone. Like 10 minutes at one or two degrees is, is tough. But I normally do like three to five minutes. So I do three minutes. I get out, warm up. Um, I go and I've got a little sauna. So I've got to say it is easier now and you've got a sauna to jump into. Well, yeah, that um, helps. <laughs> but the truth is your hands and feet, if you go into the heat too quick, you get the worst pains. You have to sort of warm up naturally, then you can go in the sauna after. Because if you go in like really, really cold, your feet and hands get these like really unbearable pains. So it sounds brutal, but I do believe, I think from a mental health perspective and for anxiety and depression and however you're feeling, it's amazing. It's really powerful. So it's mostly, because I've, I've kind of seen the Wim Hof stuff and I've spoken to a few athletes and, that do it and so on. But it's, so what you're saying is it's the, the benefit is mostly kind of mental clarity. I mean, I do believe it helps, you know, with, with, with cramps and muscle soreness and, you know, lymphatic system and kind of flushing things out. But I can't say, like, my body feels way better from the ice, but I tell you, my mind does. Like, I just think it's, you walk down there, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this. You never really want to do it. But you know, when you get in there and you come out, it, it does something to you. It really does. It does something to your brain. It does something to your, your, your mood and your elevation of, you know, your stress levels drop and your, your kind of endorphins come up a little bit. And it's just, just powerful yeah so i believe in it. i do it every other day because i like the ice to fill up so i've got two loads so do 100 kilos of ice but get it really cold um and it's become like a routine of mine so it's almost like my meditation really i mean i like the fact that it's your meditation but it sounds pretty horrible joe i don't like the sound of that well my relationship to cold has completely changed because i used to ha i'm very like i'm skinny and I'm, I'm lean so i get cold really easy. i'm always getting a cold in the winter done that all through the winter haven't had a single cough and I have, I have asthma as well, so I get a tight chest in the winter. I, I, I really think the heat and the, and the, the ice has actually um, has benefited my sort of chest and my immune system a little bit because I haven't had a single cold for like two years. So, yeah, I, put, I felt really good. Oh, fair play to you. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's pretty ringing endorsement. Help. Yeah, it's ringing endorsement, right, to be Give fair. Give it a go. Yeah, start with a nice, just start with a cold shower and just like 10 seconds, 20 seconds and, and see how you feel because it's really good, really good for the mind. Okay. I, I will try it. You're, you're about the third person that's really said the, the shower thing could be really good. So, yeah, I, I don't think I could do the ice thing. But the shower, it's worth trying, isn't it? It's easy in the summer. Like, it's a doddle. Trust, when you get to the winter months, like December, Jan, Feb, it's so cold on your head. It, I actually think a cold shower is harder 
than getting in the ice bath because the ice bath's like you're all encompassing you're straight in head under bosh you're completely covered but the shower like just spraying you and getting oh it's horrible it's so hard so <laughs> I think actually a cold shower is harder in the winter when it's like the water's running at like four or five degrees it's, it's chapping alright well I'll, I'll let you know how I get on um, now Joe one of the things we like to do on this show is we, we do something called the dream drives now I happen to know that you are big on your bikes you love your motorbikes right yeah, recently got into it. I love it. It's my new hobby. Are you a car man as well? Would you say you're a bit of a petrol head? No, I mean, I love looking at them. I've, I've never, ever, like, pulled the trigger and brought a sports car. I've got a Mini. I've always driven Mini. So from the age of about 18, I've got a nice Mini Cooper, which I love. And I just, yeah, I just, I like the idea of sports cars, but it's just not my style. Like, I just think my Mini's fun. It's cute. It gets me about. It's, you know, it's it's, just, it's nippy. Easy but I'm really into my, I'm a, I'm a two-wheel kind of guy, yeah. Yeah, no, fair enough. What kind of bike? So I've got a couple. I've got a Triumph Bobber, which I love. Um, and I just got a Triumph Thruxton, which is like my favourite. It's beautiful, and um, and I've got a Ducati Street Fighter V4S, which is Oof. like a proper, proper. That's a bullet. That's really, yeah. really fast. You got to be careful on that, Joe. That's that's like a yeah. yeah. You're right. It's a weapon. It's like a rocket. But now I just I, it's more of a. I'm not like I'm not like a top speed kind of guy, but I do like the 0 to 60. I like it's quick, you know. But I also love just going out with a friends and my dad and my brother for a little cruise. We've done the North Coast 500 in Scotland, so we're. We're not bombing it around. It's more like we just love to travel and it's the freedom of being on two wheels and that like, traveling around is beautiful. Have you ever had any big accidents? Well, I broke, so you know I broke my hand at yeah. Starpee with Joe. Yeah. So that was, that was um, I'll quickly tell you the story, but I announced on the Thursday that I was going to do the P with Joe on Monday and on the Saturday I went out for a bike ride um, with a few friends and I was behind Charlie Borman. So you know Charlie oh, and you. Oh, I love Charlie. Around. Charlie's a lovely yeah. bloke. Yeah, yeah. He's been he's on the show. He's a, a really nice guy. He's a, He's amazing. He's a friend of mine and he, he's an amazing, like the guy's ridden around the world. So he's a good rider. I'm behind him. It, we, we're going a little bit quick. So when you're in a pack, you get a bit excited. And I, I went around this bend and it was like wet and a bit gravelly. And I just panicked and I slammed on the front brake and the bike just stood up and I went straight into this wall. And I, I basically like, I wasn't going too fast, but like, luckily like I slowed the bike down enough, but I, I broke the bone in my hand. So that was on the Saturday. I'm in bits. I think, how am I going to do P with Joe? Like, I've got to do P with Joe. And, Monday morning, I get up, you know, I'm paracetamol and all that, and I just did the workout, and I actually had a broken hand. I didn't realise, but um, they put a wire in it. So, yeah, for the whole thing, I had a broken hand. But, yeah, it's, that's my first and only crash. But I'll tell you what, it put the fear of God into me, and it made me realise just how sensitive and delicate life is on a motorbike. So I'm, I'm way better. I've done advanced course and stuff now, so I'm positioning myself better in the road, and I'm just not. I'm just not going into corners ever like that ever again. I've just not, I've not got the bottle for it. No, no, no. Too right. Too right. Madly, I thought, you'd me, injured, really. I thought you'd injured your hand on a mount, mountain bike, not a motorbike. Crazy. Um, so Joe, look, we've only got a couple of minutes. So this is, this is how we like to finish off. It's the dream drives, right? And this is really, it's just a fun game we like to play. You can drive any car down any road in the world and the twist is you have three famous faces as your, as your passengers. They can be characters of fiction or they can be alive or dead. They just have to be famous and not related to you. So oh, that's good. What are you driving? Where are you driving? And who are you taking as your passengers and why? Oh, this is great. This is better than the, like, the dinner guest thing because the dinner guest thing is a bit predictable, isn't it? But So I'm, I'm driving down the west coast of, of, of California, the Pacific Coast Highway. So I'm driving from like... San Francisco down to Los Angeles. Love it. Brilliant. So we've got, the co- we've got the Pacific Coast Highway. We've got you know, the Pacific Coast Ocean on my right shoulder, and it's just cr- we're cruising. Right? I'm in a Ford Mustang convertible. Yes, you are. Nice. What yeah, colour? Like 1967 Ford Mustang convertible. Just a nice, like, classic red, like, just the, you know, red with a 
like the soft, soft top roof, so the roof down, and like we're, we're listening to some music together. And well, I've got the music. So the first passenger front of front of the seat on my left is going to have to be Bob Marley because I love oh. listening to reggae. So if I had Bob Marley with his guitar, just like doing some singing some acapella like reggae tunes, I'd be like in my element, right? So we've got Amazing. Bob Marley. Yep. Second one. Might be a little bit, you might not think this is a great one, but I, I'm obsessed with The Office, okay? I love David Brent in The Office. So for me, it wouldn't be Ricky Gervais, it would be David Brent. So I'd have <laughs> David is, Brent. That is a great one, because you could do free love on the free love highway with him. That's brilliant. Yeah, I just think he's a joke. He'd just, he just have me in stitches. Like, so properly in character, <laughs> no, not Ricky Gervais, David Brent. That's a great and one. Then, and then the final one. The final one, I want someone who's travelled the world, you know, someone who's seen a bit and has got some stories. Um, probably go with, I like Michael Palin because I used to watch that travel show that he used to do. You know, he went all around the world and stuff. Yeah. So it was a toss-up between Palin and obviously Attenborough, but I just I just like saying about Michael Palin I really love, and I think he's got some great stories, obviously, with back in the day with um, with the comedy stuff as well. So I'd, I'd say, yeah, that'd be it. Bob Marley, bit of a mix, David Brent and... Um, Michael Palin. That's a great mix. That would be a funny mix as well, Joe, because you, you'd have a right laugh there. And with Bob's football skills, you could stop and have a kick around on the beach as well. Exactly, yeah. I feel bad I haven't put a female in there now, really. I feel like I should have maybe had a female. Well, <laughs> you can't change seats. Can you have an extra seat, maybe? Yeah, why not? Okay. I'd probably go for I'd, I'd like another singer, actually. So I'm, I'm a massive, um, like, I, I love, like, Tamla Motown and kind of Motown sort of music. So I'd probably go for... Um, I'd have a Reefer Franklin, I reckon. Oh. Reefer Franklin and Bob Marley. Imagine them two together. That'd be a laugh. Oh, mate. Can you sing yourself? Are you, are you a bit talented as a uh, vocalist? No, I wish I could. I'm not that good. I'm not good at everything. <laughs> but you can listen. And that's the key. What, what a tune those two would come out with. Yeah, it'd have to be. Um, she's just got an amazing voice. Etta James is up there too. No, I'm not, I can't. Look, it's going to turn into a minibus soon. Let's just keep it as it is. Just go Reefer Franklin. But... <laughs> Yeah, that's a tough call yeah, between Aretha and Etta. They're both, uh, but yeah, uh, yeah, go for Aretha. You're safe. You're safe. That is a that's cracking good. car, that's mate. That'd be an, what an amazing, oh, that'd be an amazing experience. Could you imagine if you could actually like generate like a time machine and do that? That'd be incredible. Wouldn't it? That'd be amazing. Well, with modern technology, we, we know time machines can't happen, but you can have virtual versions of it and, you know, give it a few years. You could probably strap on a virtual headset and experience it. Yeah, that'd be the day. That'd be awesome. That'd be really cool. That'd be really cool. Joe, what a pleasure. It's been such a lovely chat. I'm so impressed. You, you've been a really great guest. Thank you. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. And I hope that, um, yeah, I hope I've inspired you a little bit. Hopefully you're still keeping fit. And um, yeah, send my love to the kids and, that, and say thank you for taking part in the workouts that you did with me. Bless you, Joe. Well, thank you for doing them. And uh, keep on doing it, mate. Keep on being the role model that you are. Because you only impress. And I'm, I'm nice really fun. impressed. Happy days. Thank mate. you, mate. All the best, mate. Take care. Enjoy the burpee bears. Thank you, buddy. Take it easy. Speak <laughs> soon, I hope. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. The Andy J Podcast. What a guy. I, I really, really liked Joe. I thought he was terrific company. And yeah, he, he, I called him a role model a few times and I stand by that. What a lovely man. What a very entertaining, friendly, happy fellow with his head screwed on and his principles aligned exactly as they should be. Really, really liked him. Thank you very much for choosing the Andy J Podcast today. I hope you're a follower. That's the new word for subscriber for those of you that aren't familiar with it yet. I hope you are a regular. And if you're not, check out the back catalogue. Have a little look at some of the conversations we've had historically. There are so many out there waiting for you to, to get into and enjoy. And we have recorded some absolute gems for the future. Next week, 
He's only one of the Jackson Five. <laughs> I mean, you know, the Jackson Five. I am delighted to say, Michael's brother, the brilliant, the legend, rock and roll Hall of Famer himself, Mr. Tito Jackson, joins me. So I hope you'll stick around for that. Have a great week. Be kind. Make someone smile. The Andy J Podcast.